Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I think we're missing the pitches that we, we would generally be on. Why that is, couldn't give you an exact answer. You know, we can always talk about the circumstances of this year and, you know, how guys got ready for the season. But I, I just think that's probably, uh, you know, a, a point of emphasis and something we can focus on. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. So many things to get into today, including the likely cancellation or at least postponement of Big Ten college football, maybe all of college football. The wild season is over. We will wrap with Royce. We will have random season recall. But I like the way Rocco put it, gentlemen. Point of emphasis. He mentioned the phrase point of emphasis on the Twins' bats not being able to mash the way that they did at times last year. And that leads us right into breaking a Twins game or series down like it's a football Football. game in this shortened season. The Twins have lost four games in a row. They were just swept by the lowly Royals. And so I will throw it to you, Judd Zolgat, to start the show off with your main point of emphasis. No, 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 no. What is your point of emphasis? Don't throw it to me. There's only one place to throw this. And it's not to Declan. It's not to Judd. It's not to Phil. Thank God. It's to your button bar, right to your right. Please sound the alarm. Hold on. I mean, we can't start this without doing this. Thank you. I mean, you lose to Pittsburgh, it's one thing. Pittsburgh sucks, but it's just one game. But then you get swept by the Royals, and your bats are, you scored 10 runs, so you scored 10 runs in three games, which is obviously, if you are truly the Bomba squad, not sufficient. Seven of those runs came in some way, shape, or form via the home run, which means you generated outside of that three runs. Uh, My point of emphasis, so let's see. Let's combine Rocco's laid-back, calm, cool, and delected demeanor with mine, all right? Here's my point of emphasis. I'm going to kick some ass, okay? That's my point (laughs) of emphasis. I'm going to start with this one. When do we get concerned about Mitch Garver? He is now three for 32. I mean, Declan has been to Declan's credit. You've been saying this for two weeks, but three for 32, 094, one home run, two runs batted in. And again, in 10 games, he's three for 32, okay? Miguel Sano, three home runs on the season, two home runs in one game um, weekend before this one against Cleveland at Target Field. He's driven in six runs. He is hitting a grand 111 right now and has, a, even for him, I believe this to be eye-popping, and this is saying something, okay? 
He has an eye-popping 23 strikeouts and 45 at-bats in 13 games. I'll say it again very it's slowly. It's eye-popping for him, though. I'll, I'll, say it, I'll say it again. 23, he has managed to strike out 23 times, including twice on Sunday, including his final key at-bat with the guy on first and two outs yesterday. Struck out looking, 23 strikeouts, 45 at-bats. And let me give you a final um, point of emphasis Kick in the ass, okay? And this one's not going to be about the hitting. And we brought this up. We brought this up after every one of his starts. But I think it's worth revisiting. Jose Barrios. The very, the, the human being the Minnesota Twins would pick if they have lost three consecutive games to start on Sunday to say, Jose, you're the guy to end this. And Jose said, you're damn right, Rocco. I'm going to end this losing streak. On my watch, this doesn't continue. I will do whatever I need to do to end this streak. This feels like a gap between reality and expectations Uh-oh. here. Feels like a gap between reality no, but and I mean, expectations. He's spo- no, but he was supposed to be that guy. The Dobber is my guy for that situation. Okay, Unless yeah, it's at Yankee Stadium. And the Dobber pitches... Tonight against the Brew Crew. Yeah, he's, but the, anyway, he's the shutdown guy. But yeah. anyway, it ends tonight. The divers on the mound. Jose Barrios, and it might, but Jose Barrios comes out on Sunday in KC and immediately gives up two runs, faces six guys, and now in a series where you've lost the first two and you really need this start to be a good start, he has put you behind the eight ball. And now Jose Barrios so far this season has a 531 ERA, okay? So football. You take your point of emphasis, you take your calm, cool, and collected, and you match that with my kick some ass time. And to be clear, in all seriousness, this doesn't concern me that the Twins are going to miss the playoffs. I still firmly believe they're going, okay? But what this weekend showed showed you, where it's instructive to watch what transpired is the first round of the playoffs, okay? Okay. Because you play Kansas City, which I will say this. The bullpen was good. Kansas City played well. I give them credit. I don't think they're a good team, but they played well, all right? But you play Kansas City, the Royals. They're a great team. They've won four in a row now. Yeah. And before that, I believe One of the they had lost six yeah. consecutive, all right? <laughs> Look out. They had lost six consecutive. But you played the Royals and had this happen to you. The playoffs, you don't even get to Sunday. If you play like the Twins did, you don't even get to Sunday. Right. But, wait, but okay. All right. I know this is break baseball down like football. So I will you acknowledge can't, that. You yeah. can't bring yourself to buy okay. Okay. the segment. And so, and so, no, I'm buying the segment, but I'm buying it like Aaron Rodgers. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. And then they went on to win their six straight games, got to the playoffs. Green Bay Packers, whatever year that was. S E E Y A L A T E R. I don't have it. I lost it after three letters. See ya later. Oh, okay. See ya later. What Two is your, or okay. three. Okay, let's 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 go back here. Let's go back here. Mm-hmm. I want all of us right now, since Judd got that out of his system right there, and it was a terrible weekend, okay? I am not justifying what happened this weekend. Mm -hmm. You should not lose three games to the Royals. You should not go three games. And some of these games were like, you know, one, two, three run games in the middle portions. And you're not going to use any of your best relievers. You're just going to keep sending out like your sixth best reliever to get shelled in all of these games. So I have some issues with the way Rocco was managing the series as well. So I am am prefacing, prefacing this by saying I am not excusing what happened this weekend. 
The Twins should not be getting swept by the Royals. They should not be losing that game against the Pirates last at the end of that last series on Thursday, too. But real quick around the room, start with Declan here. A sentence to describe the way you feel about the Twins today, Monday, August 10th, going forward the rest of this season. So a sentence to explain the way you feel now that you've been able to digest a red-hot start and then an embarrassing fall-flat-on-your-face four-game stretch like here match game. bad teams. How, would you, how, how have you ingested all of this over the first two weeks, and how would you now explain the way you feel about the Twins going forward in one sentence? It's all good, baby. It's all good. That's that literally. It's all good, comma baby. It's not that. It's not that big of a deal. You lost a four game series. You lost four in a row last year. You only lost four games once. It's to the Kansas City Royals. You're going to have blips on the radar like this. Yes, there's people on the offense that we can definitely start to have concerns about. Obviously, like Mitch Garver, Miguel Sano. I, I can tell you who's not, and that's Byron Buxton. We can get into that later. But it's all good. You got Randy Dobnek, who I think is Cy Young over there. You got Jose Barrios, who I know was struggled a little bit in those first two innings, but I still think. In a large portion, what he's been able to do is still fine. I'm not worried about it. And the bullpen has come around. I am now a big believer in the bullpen. So it's all good, baby. It's yeah. not that big of a deal. Uh, Calm down. I, depends who pitches from the bullpen. I will, say, I will say my sentence is still one of the best teams in baseball, comma, with a chance to win the World Series. Still one of the best teams in baseball, comma, with a chance to win the World Series. Judd's head's about to explode yeah, right yeah. now. Just you guys go are... through this plexiglass. <laughs> Hey, Mackie! Hey, Mackie, you suck! Come on! And, and, and let, me, let me lay this out, okay? And again, I know, that, I know that the segment is treat a baseball game or series like it's football, which involves a lot of overreacting and hyperanalyzing, and, and we have done a lot of that the first two weeks. But the biggest thing about baseball, and this is the difference between baseball and football, is in baseball... Things play out, and sometimes they play out in, like, non-sequitur form, or they play out uneven, and you look at a body of work to determine how to judge a team. And in this case, you don't really get the benefit of 162 games body of work, so, like, these 60-game body of works are going to produce some flukes. The Tigers might make the playoffs, and 60 games they wouldn't in 162, right? So there's mm-hmm. there are fluky things that happen. But if you look at the totality of the first two and a half weeks here, the Twins record is 10 and 6. If I were to tell you guys, okay, forget about the order in which things happened. Forget about the order. Forget about the fact that the last four things you've seen have been putrid baseball games. If I were to have plopped you down on earth 16 games into the season and I were to tell you, all right, the Twins are 10 and 6. They're tied for the second best record in the American League. And they are tied for the best run differential in all of baseball. And on top of that, a lot of the guys that you would expect to have carried them to this 10-6 and record, Josh Donaldson, Jose Barrios, uh, other guys offensively that have done nothing so far, Mm -hmm. Mitch Garver being one of them, haven't really done anything at all and would be expected to come out of it at some point based on track records. Although Garver has a one-year track record, that's definitely a thing to keep an eye on. How would you guys feel if I said forget, you don't you don't get the benefit of having seen any of this? You just know that they are ten and six. They have the second best record in the American League. They have the best run differential in the American League, and some of these key figures have not gotten going yet. What would your evaluation be then? Because I think it's easy. So to, I can't know a thing statistically, or I do know. I do not know that I'm they're saying, not hitting effectively. I mean, there's. 
they were 16th in baseball going into yesterday in batting average at 232. They hit 270, which was second in baseball it's, last it's, year. It's two two weeks of season. Do I know? Right, but it's going to be gone quick. Do I know those things or do I not know those things? You just know that they are 10 and 6. You just know that they have the best run differential in baseball, and you just know that 10 and 6 is the second best record. If in I didn't know a thing about how they got there, I'd be okay. The problem is. I've seen the process, and let me give you and let me give you the word. I don't need a sentence, okay? For those who might be watching this, if it gets um, streamed, I have a word for you, and I'm going to go slow here because I can't show you the whole notepad at once. But in match game fashion, I'm going to give you the word. That's a V. That's it. I uh, I don't know if you can see it. I think it's getting whitewashed. All right. The word is just just like our history. No, the, I'm just kidding. That's a different wow, wow! Back after this, the, the word is vulnerable. Because I'm not worried. I will say this until they miss the playoffs, which I don't believe they're going to do. I'm not worried about that part of it. They're going to the playoffs. All right, they are go. They would need to actually actively work their way out. So, and you know what? If they finish second. That's fine, too. But I do think, in all seriousness, what we've seen these past four games, and especially the three games against Kansas City over the course of the weekend, I do think we have seen vulnerabilities that will be interesting to see how and if they can be addressed. I think that's very fair. Yes, I would agree with that. And actually, to segue back into panicking like it's football. Football. Go for it. One of those vulnerabilities is Jose Barrios. Mm-hmm. And and when I say vulnerability, I don't mean that he's like destined to be a five and a half ERA starting pitcher. I, I don't think he's that. He's a good starting pitcher who's off to a bad start. But I think the vulnerability lies in what we thought was his upside. His upside with his stuff, with his durability for the most part, with his general makeup and having been a really mature kid at 20, 21, 22 uh, I think the upside has always and first round draft pick status, right? The upside has always been ace, like one of the twelve to fifteen ace caliber starting pitchers that's in you, baseball. That's what you had hoped for. Yep. And I am standing here today, and maybe maybe he proves me wrong at some point later this year. But I've seen enough of him to this point this season, yep. and and in his career to say that that ship has sailed. He is not an ace caliber starting pitcher, and he has helped prove it in these last two games where. Like I know that he only gave up one run against the Pirates, but that's a game in which like he's laboring 40 pitches through two innings against a double-A lineup. Kansas City comes around, hey, just need a big start from you this weekend against a bad team. Alex Gordon is 100 years old. Like That lineup has a couple good hitters in it. Jorge Soler is a good hitter. Don't get me wrong. Uh, they've got a couple good hitters in that lineup. But right. you need to be better than putting 11 guys on base in five and a third against the Kansas City Royals. Absolutely. Just be better, man. Just be better than that. I'll give you the excuse the first start of the year against Chicago. It's weird. You had a, a bunch of time off. But, like, he, a, a, an ace caliber pitcher does not look like this three and a half years into it. Right. So, And and it's instructive to to the brain trust that at some point in time they have to say what you said, which is we've got a really good team here, a, a lot of efficient, good players here. Um Brios can be a very key part, but what part? He's like, because yep, it, because yep, you agreed. because it, because you do have to bail on ace type stuff. And listen, Brios has been has been himself adamant about the, the fact that he perceives himself at, as an ace. 
They've offered him contracts. He said no. Why? Because he wants to ultimately be paid big, big, ace-like bucks. I get all that. But to your point and to what we've seen, at some point, if you're at the Twins, I think you have to sit Burrios down and say, this is who you really are. And that doesn't make you a bad pitcher. Does that, but, do you really need to sit him down and say that, or do you just make that evaluation? No, financially. I don't know. No, 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 no. You need to sit him down okay. fi- financially Listen, and kid, say, You're kind of worthless. This, no, <laughs> not, not Baldelli. I'm saying Falvey has to sit him down and his reps and say, You want to be paid like play, like Pitcher X, and that guy's great. Yeah, you're not clear. You're just Kershaw. not him. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. So, yes, I think that that conversation um, at some point during. The winter, either th- this year or very soon, needs to be had. That it mean, needs to be made very clear to Barrios: this is who you really are, and and let's stop pretending that you might be uh, Kershaw or or you know a pitcher in his prime. Who I mean, Phil, that game on Sunday was the poster child for the game for a true ace. Kansas City's not that good. You've lost three consecutive going into that game. They've already won the series. Yes. So they're they're probably feeling pretty good already Absolutely. about themselves. And they should. And that's the type of game where if you have a Kershaw, a guy like that, in his prime, which Barrios, by the way, should be now. He is in his prime. Yep, he is. Um, if you have that guy, he should go out and say, boys, score me two runs. And I got this. And instead, his start's not terrible, but the eye test of the start was awful. Because you can't come out then and labor. You can. It's going to happen. But that is the poster child start for this is where you essentially come out and tell Baldelli, I'm going seven. You give up one run and you pitch great. And there's been very few times of late where Barrios proves he can do that. It is true. And, I mean, and, and, the, and the question is, okay, well... Is there still room for growth here, and is there still some other level to his game? And I mean, there's certainly another level to his game this year because he's just off to a terrible start. Right. And it's funny he's actually pitching the way that he normally does in August. The thing that we were worried about, which is, I didn't think he would, is well, August is his worst month, and September is like his because second he's worst worn month. Worn down. Right. But he came out this is, fresh as a daisy. They're on game. They're on game sixteen yesterday. <laughs> I know. So I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the if it's the Mayan calendar. Like I don't. I don't know what. What it is, but he is terrible in August, and I think this is actually a blessing for the Twins. And that, look, if he does eventually blossom into that ace caliber pitcher, that's a great added bonus. But no longer as of this weekend, as of that start yesterday, and that start yesterday is is just another drop in the bucket of a body of work of three and a half years. No longer do you have to sit there in the in the front office and wonder, all right, is he an ace? Right, is he an ace? When's it going to come? You can mentally detach yourself from that outcome right now. I'm not saying you trade him, you boot him. No, I'm, not saying, I'm not even saying you don't pay him a contract because you need guys like him in your rotation. He's a really good starting pitcher. Uh, but he's not the guy that you're going to build a championship rotation around. And by the way, I still think they can win the World Series with Jose Barrios in their rotation. But it makes it, I think, more obvious that you, you probably have to go out and make a trade, a Trevor Bauer or somebody, whether it's this year, in a wonky year, or next year. Um, and so that's so that's where you and I probably do agree. Football. Baseball and yeah. football. Uh, what else stood out to you here before we get into wild and college football being canceled, basically discussion? What else stood out to you in a terrible series against the Royals? The Royals bullpen. Okay. 
Uh, Here are the stats. Trevor Rosenthal, by the way, was He's a back. great buy low candidate. And that dude, was it Friday night that he just painted 97 mm-hmm. on the black? And Holland as well? God. Yeah, he's back. Yeah. It's really like good. it's like 2014. Sorry to again. interrupt and derail this, but Trevor Rosenthal on Friday mm-hmm. night, he locked that inning down and was laughing giddily as the game was ending. Like Salvador Perez comes walking out, and he was just like, oh, Salvador my God, Perez. I haven't pitched like that in three years. <laughs> what just happened? Um, and yeah, I mean, it was amazing. So, so the, uh, Casey bull, bullpen in the three games, 13 in the third, two runs, three walks, six, uh, hits, probably most impressively 17 strikeouts. All right. That's kudos to them. Good job. The twins disappointing. Um, the twins bull, bullpen, and this is mostly c- courtesy of, uh, Saturday's Cody Stacia complete meltdown. If you guys saw it. Uh, eight earned runs in eleven and a third. Now let now let me give, but let me give you the revelation that I saw that probably I think might be the most encouraging thing, short of Buxton uh, hitting home runs in the first two games. That might be the most encouraging thing if you're a Twins fan about this series, and it came from the bullpen on Saturday. Akala, okay, yeah, four strikeouts. Two innings, 99, absolute heat. Looks like he's got a clue. Like he doesn't, he looks like he might have a, a clue little bit here. Of a clue. I'm, yeah. not saying yeah, he's, he, I'm not saying he's a complete product. He's not. But, but you know what? If you can get him on the right track and continue to develop him, which I think the Twins can, if you can do that, you look pretty damn good. And that stuff, man, that stuff plays. Um, I could see this kid being a, a big, big arm from that bullpen for a while. And this is the type of thing where we always asked the question previously, when are the twins going to bring so-and-so up, right? When are they going to replace um, slop-throwing southpaw from the pen with a guy like this? That might have been the most encouraging thing I saw was he came out and threw absolute heat. And you can the thing I like about him that I think – we're seeing too is I think we're seeing a progression here like each time he pitches it looks like he becomes more comfortable and more cognizant of what he's supposed to be doing which is a good thing so if we're going to break baseball down like football and try and find a positive because there aren't a lot of them from the three games in KC I would say that appearance two innings out of the bullpen on Saturday actually gives you some real hope for some of these arms that are going to be coming down the pike yeah, the he definitely has potential and upside. I think he's like I said last week. I think he drives a sports car of high power and doesn't always know like what the gears do. Sure. Uh, so granny shifting, double clutching when you should. <laughs> exactly. But exactly. he's learning. I, I feel. I feel like he's like each time out on the road, he gets progressively. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't take huge steps, but I feel like he does take steps. Uh, but the bullpen conversation Football. I want to have with you. Is more about process and Rocco Baldelli's decisions in some of these spots. It feels very much like he's still managing some of these games like they don't matter that much. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's because eight teams make the playoffs and the Twins have already racked up probably like a third of the wins you need to get to the playoffs, if not even more than that. They might already be like 40% of the way to the win total you need to get to the playoffs. So maybe he has shifted gears as a manager. But on Friday night, for instance, so uh, it was Devin Smelter who started on Friday night, I believe, yes. if I recall correctly. Yep, You're, he, cor- you're correct. And he went, uh, he pitched pretty well. 
He came in, made a spot start. He's nothing more than a spot starter, a guy that you're going to use situationally out of the bullpen. When he comes out of the game, it's he, he goes, I pulled it up here, it's four and a third, and he gives up a couple of runs. So he comes out of the game uh, in the fifth inning, and the game is two to two. So from this point forward, it is a tie game, and you have three-plus innings left to fill from your bullpen in a close game, okay? Now, I know the Twins didn't score a run from that point forward, so ultimately the Twins' offense is at fault for not scoring more than two runs off of Jacob Junis, a guy who absolutely deserved to get lit up like the 4th of July in that game, and they couldn't do anything with him. And the three relievers the Twins used in a close game against the Royals in that situation were Matt Whistler, Caleb Thielbar, who was literally out of baseball like four months ago, and Sean Poppin, who's just a random guy, a random guy that they just called up. And now credit to those guys. They only give up one run in the three and two-thirds innings. But process, you're in a close game, and you're basically waving the white flag and saying, you know what, I know we could we could probably run out Taylor Rogers here, or we could run out Trevor May or one of our top two or three relievers, mm-hmm. or Tyler Duffy, who I guess could have used a day off. We're going to run out Caleb Thielbar and Sean Poppin. And I just wonder what the deal is with that. Like, what is the deal with close games using your seventh and eighth best relievers? That doesn't make sense to me. Yesterday is another example. So, again, credit uh, or, I guess, blame goes to the Twins offense for not scoring any runs after the second inning of that game yesterday. Mm -hmm. But, all right, uh, you get five and a third innings out of Jose Barrios in that one, and they were clunky. And so you turn to Tyler Clippert, which is fine. Tyler Clippert's one of your four or five best relievers. And then you turn to this random guy that you just picked up the, uh, via trade. Where did they get this guy from? This he he was from the taxi squad on the taxi squad, yeah. and he replaced Poppin, who was actually who was actually sent to the to the taxi squad. Corey Gearin. Corey Gearin. I think he's pitched for a bunch of teams, or he's definitely bounced around. He's not new. Okay, so you you turn to a journeyman guy who yeah. again he did well. He he pitched two innings. He did walk a couple guys, and his control was spotty. Yes, and he uh, and half of his pitches were were balls. But he pitched well enough and saw, again, great job for that guy. But close game, you're about to get swept, and you're turning to, like, your seventh best reliever again? Yes. Why are your best relievers not pitching in this series in close games? Again, again, their offense should have scored runs, and it didn't matter because the offense didn't score. The goal is to keep the game close. He's proving that he is going to, for, for the majority of these games, handle these games like it's April. That's what we're saying. And I like him as right, a manager. Right or I like wrong, him as a, I like that's him. what he's doing. He is handling, he is very much managing game 16 like it's game 16 of 162. This is what he said about the sweep, by the way. I think as we sit here, we're still in a pretty good spot. We played some good baseball already this year. I feel pretty good about everything going forward. I think uh, not overreacting most of the time is the right thing to do. And that's kind of where we're sitting right now. We know we didn't come out here and play well this series, but I don't think that that means that we're not going to show up in Milwaukee ready to go. I'd love to see Rocco Bodelli and Judd Zolget have just a 20-minute conversation about the Royals series. <laughs> just face-to-face. Yes. It's not time I actually tried again. last year once. Um, uh, there, there, there was a game at Target Field on, I think it was a Friday or Saturday of last year. It was sometime that... Rosario didn't run out ball that he thought was a home run, and he sort of just styled it and watched it. And it hit off the fence, and I think he got a double instead of a triple or a single instead of a double. And I circled back to Rocco after we got done talking to to him back in in the days when we could all go talk to him. And I circled back and I said, what's your philosophy on this? Like, because that's not a good thing, clearly. 
And he did. He ran through his philosophy, which is punishing people doesn't help. If I punish him, it's going to do me no good. He's not He's not going to run next time, and I'm not going to get the bang for my buck that I would if I benched him. Um, he is going to, and you can consider this, boys, to be a bad thing or a great thing. I'm just telling you. He is, I don't think, going to change his philosophy of how he perceives life to be for Phil Mackey, Judd, Declan, and probably the Twins themselves. He, and so so he he went into that series after the loss to the Pirates, I think very much saying it's we're going into games 14, 15 and 16. And as far as he's concerned, he does not then draw the parallel to but it's a 60 game season. He says we're going into games 14, 15 and 16 and I'm not altering how I think about that. That's what I wonder. So he is a master of the big picture. He is a master of I guess you could say emotional intelligence, just being able to calm your nerves and yes. Yes. being able to make people comfortable and get the most out of players. Right. He, I, I think he thinks if he benches guys or gets mad or panics, he's going to do nothing but cause a ripple effect of panic. Yes. And it's not going to – the the trade-off then is, is not, Rocco, we're engaged now. It's, oh, my God, if you're panicking, we should panic. Or he's yeah, or he's going to create unnecessary strife and yes. and Correct. yeah, just unnecessary so, negative feelings it. in the clubhouse. And I agree with those things for the most part. I also think that you can get lost sometimes worrying too much about the big picture and not worried about wait a second, what are we doing here? We brought Sean Poppin and this random guy out the taxi okay. qua, taxi squad got, in, in the seventh him. and eighth innings of close games that we need to win. Corey Guerin is thirty four, all right? Corey Garrett. He's, he's not terrible if you look no, at his career. No, no, no. He's got decent numbers. His career starts in the big leagues in 2011 with the Braves. He then pitches for the Giants. He then pitches for the Rangers. He then pitches for the A's. And last year, it looks like he spent time with the Yankees uh, for 18 games and 48 games with the M's. So he's been, so he he's has been, been with half the team. He has baseball. been around the block. Yeah. So, all right, that's breaking baseball down like football. it's football. Oh, I got a question for you quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Casey has guys on second and third in the first with one out on Sunday, Phil Mackey. Mm -hmm. Hunter Dozier comes to the plate. The twins bring the infield in. Dozier punches the ball through the second base side. I was watching golf by this point. Okay, no. I I saw this, Judd. But my my question is this. Because it, it was a debate, and it is it falls right in the philosophy of breaking uh, baseball down as football. The question is this. That early in a baseball game, should the infield have been in? Because if it's back, they get a double play probably. So explain it one more time for okay. me. Okay. All right. Men on second and third. Mm-hmm. What inning? Uh, first. Okay. The first. So the first guy... Singled the second guy, Solaire actually singled off the top of the left field wall. It was hilarious. Yeah, that was a weird play. And but 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 the guy in first didn't run, so he stops at second. So then Perez flies out to left, and I believe on that play, um, the two guys move up to second, third base. All right, second, third, one out. So second, third, one out. Dozier's up. First at bat of the season. Infield, yeah. Infield comes in. Dozier punches the ball through on the second base side on a ball that Arise would have probably had if he had been playing at normal depth pretty easily to potentially start a double play. 
Is that a mistake in your mind to play the infield in and try yeah, and cut that run You said there was runners off? on second and third. Yeah, right. So they, they were going to try if they had gotten the ball to arise. If he had made the play, he's coming home or he's going to stop the run from scoring. Right. But and you the guy's to, not going to You mentioned home. double play, though. Are you like an unorthodox double play? Oh, I'm sorry. My bad. Yeah. Second and third. So no DP. My yep. bad. They're just trying to cut the runoff. With no DP, I play. I definitely. I look to cut a runoff in that yeah. situation. Okay. I'm not looking to get that. Became a big debate. Yep. I. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to die on the hill either way in that spot. Perfect your baseball offense, football. How about your offense goes and scores seven runs, and that doesn't matter. Absolutely. Right. That's really the absolutely. I'm and just they curious. will at some point. The offense will at some point, but it's it's tough when. Like you're looking at a two week window here, and it's a huge chunk of your season because you're only playing sixty games, and you're now, what are you now? You're more than twenty five percent of the way through your season, sixteen games. Game seventeen tonight. So uh, that's breaking baseball down like it's football. Real quick before we dive into the wild season being over, and uh, tonight the wild with their twelve and a half percent chance to change the franchise. That'll be fun. Yes. Federated Mutual Insurance Company is here standing behind business owners during a really difficult pandemic year. They've been around for over 100 years. They've been a trusted resource for hundreds of businesses in the state of Minnesota and also around the country as well. And they're also a partner of Minnesota United, the Gophers, Timberwolves, and, and some of your favorite sports teams in town here. So they can um, they can relate to what we're going through on a sports level in 2020. But if you are ready for the frontline protection that your business deserves and needs, go to federatedinsurance.com to find more information. And remember, at Federated Mutual Insurance Company, it's our business to protect yours. Eagles firm, got it to the line. A long shot, they score! It takes the Canucks 11 seconds to win it in overtime and win the series. Pretty disheartening for everyone. Um, You know, just... The, the roller coaster of playoffs from game one, winning that game, and then all of a sudden you find yourself trailing 2 1. And then again, leads tonight um, that we had till late in the game, and, and they tied up. And to lose you know, 11, 10, 11 seconds into overtime, it, I think it was pretty shocking for everybody. And anytime your season ends just like that, it's. Um, I don't know the word for it, but it's just not its not an enjoyable moment. I would think that, that Zach would know the word for it by now. Fitting? I would think he would have a Fitting? word for it by now. Is that the word, Phil? Fitting? Eric Hollis said it four years ago, and, and he was dead on. He said, I'm sick of this. What is this, like the fourth year in a row this happened? Eric Hollis. And then he was traded He just got bounced ago. with the Panthers. Too Nothing bad, to Eric Hollis. This is what Everson said. You know, although we thought we had some chances, we just needed to convert a little bit. But, I mean, there's so many. There's different factors, obviously, but... Um, you know, we thought the the series was extremely close, which we anticipated it would be, um, and it was. That's another classic, like, oh, this is, series could have gone either way, but it never does. It, ne- <laughs> it never does go either way. It always goes one way. And so hockey people and cliches, man, uh, go hand in hand. Now, in, greatest of cliches, hockey. People. In fairness, for this series, the, the expectations going—I mean, the expectation four months ago was that they were on the outside looking in with a chance to continue their hot streak and get into the 16-team playoff. And the only reason why they were part of this playoff is because of COVID and the expanded. Uh, so they, and, and, and the Canucks were favored. The Canucks are just a slightly better team roster-wise, everything from what you guys are saying. So I think the question going forward here is, what, what are your takeaways from the series? Uh, did the series impact your thoughts on the organization one way or the other? 
And are they going to get the number one overall pick tonight? Is the 12.5% chance going to This is hit? Minnesota sports. So if, if I say yes, hit me. Like if I was to say, you know what, I got a feeling they're going to get that top pick, just come through that glass and belt me because, come on. Um, I, I believe that they will get the top pick when Gary pulls the ball from the thing, I guess, or something. And, and he it says too. the wild. Yeah, I mean, if that's the case, uh, I will be astounded. I would think that the NHL, if it is rigged, if this thing is rigged, the Rangers are in, so the you know, putting a top star in New York would be great for Pittsburgh the NHL with Crosby. Yeah, I could. I if you got, but, but Pittsburgh already has a couple of stars. Yeah, but they, no, putting a star in the state of hockey, in the state of hockey, it's more likely the NHL would rig it for a Minnesota team than any other league would. I'll just throw that out. there. It might be, but you know what? I, I think if there's going to be so, there's eight teams that are going to be participating in this uh, process tonight. And pardon my French here, but let's say there's three cold balls, okay? Three cold balls. So Gary's like, they tell Gary, just grab one of the three cold balls. If it's one of the five uh, hot balls, don't don't grab that don't one. Don't grab any of don't the warm balls. Yeah. If they're warm balls, put them back. But if they're cold balls, take one. Uh, the three cold balls are the Rangers, the Penguins, and Toronto. Those are the three cold ones. Um but I will believe that part of the process when I actually see it play out. If the um, if the Wild is to get a chance at Alexi Lafreniere, here's what I would say about the loss to the Canucks: it was a gift. I said this going in. It was a can't lose. You could not lose, and they didn't lose. It was a gift because what the series did was it confirmed what you thought, and it absolutely confirmed it. The twelve games after Boots got let go, right? It's the pop-up, man. The interim coach always gets the pop-up. Eight and four. Look, they've really changed their ways. You know why they do that? Because they did the same thing when Yosey got fired and Torch got the yeah. job. The interim coach pop-up is one of the biggest indictments on a roster. Right? Absolutely. Like, oh, we were kind of dragging ass because we didn't really want Galchenia- to try hard. Galchenyuk in the four games in the bubble went back to being exactly who he is, which is why he's gone. Uh, there's so many things about this that you had to start. Here's the... Here's the one thing, guys, that people complained about on Friday, and I tweeted this. I said, this is this is not their fault. This is who they are. Overtime starts, right? And it was going to last a long time. I told Dawn, this, thing's gonna, this thing could go forever, and it went for 11 seconds. But it, over time, they face it off, and who takes the face off? Who's out there for the Wild? The fourth line in Koivu. And people were like, that's an... It, you can't start the fourth line. What's going on? They were the best line. Yeah, they were the best line, which is who your team is, which is the gift of seeing this. The worst, <laughs> the worst thing that could have taken place is the season ends on March 12th, right? And Bill Guerin sort of left there to say, man, those last 12 games, Phil Mackey, were pretty impressive. Let's what, keep let, everything the let's same. Talk, let's talk about yeah. those. But, I mean, what did those last 12 games say? Galchenyuk, we're going to keep him. Um, Koivu still, blah, blah, blah. So you could have gone down the path of those last 12 games serving as somewhat of a barometer. Now they don't. Those four games were the greatest thing and played out exactly. If you're a Wild fan and you are and you say, oh, man, if we had just gone to, to the first round, okay, what? You're going to win the Stanley Cup? What? No, you're not. I think that the thing, the way that things played out for this team in the bubble were absolutely ideal and put this franchise on the course of being able to make the necessary changes 
Uh, and this is going to take some time. I get it. It's not an overnight thing, but to get to where this team needs to eventually go. Uh, what they did in March, Declan, was was um, uh, basically a mirage in the desert. Yeah, it, it confirmed a lot of things for the Wild. I mean, obviously they were able to win game one, and they won that by playing matchups and, and playing a very sound game. But you knew that if you wanted to go in a track meet, if you wanted to play special teams, if you wanted to size up goaltending, Vancouver was going to come out on top the majority of the times. And the Wild had, what, three one-goal leads on Friday night in Game 4. They blew all those three leads. They they lo- lose the game 11 seconds into overtime. Even though Alex Stalock didn't obviously play great in this series, I also don't think he played super poor. That being said, the fact Bill Guerin and Dean Evason, who are just wrapping up their post their postseason press conference right now as we're recording this obviously on Monday morning, Guerin basically says, yeah, our goaltending was not good this year. It was unacceptable. And if I can figure out a way to add it and change to it, I will. We don't have a number one center. How are you going to find that? And I also believe there is still a minority of people, Judd, who believe, and I can see this happening, Judd would lose his mind if if this happened. Happens before. But I could see the Wild taking Quentin Byfield and not Alex Lafaniere because he's a center. I can absolutely see it. And it's and it, this is not a crazy take. I think there's actually people who are convinced they could take Byfield, who is supposed to be as good. How close are, are they as far as talent goes? Is there Or is there a quarterback comparison? Yeah. Is there like an NFL um, quarterback I don't know. So, trying to think off the top of my head, I I, I wouldn't. But like, is Byfield close here? This this kid is supposedly a generational Lafreniere, yeah. type of player in Lafreniere. So, is Byfield close? Is he? I think he's close. He has to be close. Because people are are there. Yeah, he doesn't have boards he, that do have him. Doesn't at have, one. He doesn't have to to be. It could be but a if case. He, but if you want your number one center and he's there. You're just going to stockpile more wings with no centers? Is this like when the Blazers needed a big man? You don't so pass they up a generational talent. You do not pass up. If 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 they wouldn't come, if on. this kid was good but not great, then absolutely. All I know <laughs> is is before both of you were born in the '84 draft, Louis looked at the draft board and saw LaFontaine. He saw Iserman. He saw Barrasso. He saw Turgeon. He saw that whole group, and he got cute and said. Brian Lawton. He's going to be big. His dad is big. He's going to grow into a dominant center. And it's one of the worst picks probably in the history of the league. Okay. So, so if Lafreniere was considered a good player, I'd be like, okay, can see it. But you do not pass up. And Bill Guerin's not a dumb guy. You do not pass up a generational talent to try and fill yeah. a need with a player who you think is going to be good, but you're not nearly as convinced. I will also add, okay. And this is the non-hockey guy in the room here, okay? But even I can tell you, this team is not at the point of, like, finessing the position that they take in the draft. This team is at the point where they need to take the but the, if, if there's a generational talent, if there is a franchise-changing player, you take that player, period, and then you figure out, okay, we still need a top-line center. Maybe we can swing a trade of some kind, or maybe... Maybe there's another player to be drafted at some point in 2021. You figure it out. You don't get cute, as as Judd put it. So, but first, they got to get the 12 and a half percent to land tonight in and, the lottery. And the good news is, if they don't get it, at least they they will get ninth. That's a guarantee. So they'll they'll get in first or ninth because so they're going to they pick the, top ten. Yeah. Because they have the least amount of points remaining of the eight teams, so they'll get ninth. <laughs> Chicago advance. God. <laughs> and the Blackhawks <laughs> are really good. The Blackhawks are coming. The Blackhawks are... 
weird when you draft a top five picks all over the time. They got some luck. Exactly right. Kirby Doc's a stud. Exactly right. Yeah. Uh, Also, too, I just want to make it clear that the Wild did their duty by losing this series to the Canucks. There was there was really very little value and lose the the only value would be. That's what I said. It it, it was kind of an all or nothing. Like if you're going to win that series against the Canucks, you better damn well go to the Stanley Cup Finals. (laughs) Because if you don't, and you're not going to total waste of a chance. When you have a 12.5% chance to change your franchise, you take it if you're the Wild. Mm-hmm. Now, Pittsburgh's probably sitting there thinking, well, that sucks. We've got Sidney Crosby for maybe a couple years left of his prime, and we just got blown out in this 22, this weird playoff format. So, like, Pittsburgh wasn't tanking to get the number one pick, but it's a nice safety net for them if they get bounced and they wind up hitting on their 12.5% chance. Yep. Now, just so I'm clear, if Pittsburgh gets the number one pick, they get the number one pick, Yeah, it's not the Wilds. Okay, correct. And they'll get 15th if they don't. And they'll have one week to decide if they want to defer that to Minnesota, which I don't think they'll do, but they'll have a week to decide if they want to defer it for 2021 from the Zucker trade. Interesting. Uh, Judd's Hockey Show, by the way, is going to be must-listen to this week. You can find that as part of the Mackie and Judd podcast feed and as a standalone feed, Apple, Spotify, and scorenorth.com. So, Declan, you saw a tweet. What's the latest? It sounds like a newspaper in Michigan. Is it the Free Press? Yeah, the Detroit Is Free reporting Press. what about the Big Ten football season? That they have canceled the 2020 football seasons. Uh, the presidents voted 12-2 to two to end the fall sports in the conference. Only Nebraska and Iowa voted to play. I'm shocked Nebraska tried to play. Well, I'm, Nebraska and Iowa, the only two that I'm don't sh- have like a dense popular uh, yeah. population city of some kind to worry about. Or sure. I'm shocked Nebraska was like, yeah, health concerns. Uh, this is football we're talking we're about. We're good. And we want to put 80,000 people in the stands, t- too. We're talking about football here. All right. So there's a lot to unpack here. Basically, uh, last night, mm-hmm. a group of top college football players, including Trevor Lawrence, was leading the charge on this, sent out a united five power five conference message saying we want to play. They hashtagged it. It's a movement. We want to play, but it's not just, we want to play period. It's we want to play and power five conferences. We want you to figure out and why you haven't done this at any point in the last six months is the question or the last four months, I guess, figure out safety protocol, figure out, Ways for us to come back and participate, whether it's in a bubble or some other safe structure, um, we want to play within safe confines. And we want to put out a united front that will eventually morph into a union is the summation of what the college football players were saying. So there's that. I don't know what you want to call it, a cloud or an umbrella sort of sitting over all of this that the players want to play or at least the leaders of this Whatever it Pre-union, is. Pre-union, yeah. if you want to call it I don't know what this. you would call it at this point. Is it the right call to cancel college football this fall? Let's start there. Okay, that that is that question would be fine to answer if college football and the way it was run was competent and made sense, but it's not. Uh, I will say this. This is the most college football thing to do because, again, this does not come down to player safety. This comes down to how much can we make and, on the flip side, Phil, how much do we stand to lose if things go wrong? God forbid a player dies. They're going to get sued. They could lose millions, right? So the amazing thing is what we're finding here is another league or association which somehow, after months and months and months of a pandemic, is not prepared. Clearly, Clearly they said... It'll be done by fall, right? Right, Joe? Right, Bob? It's going to be done by fall, so we're going to play college football. 
Um, the lack of preparation for the moment that we're in right now in college sports and football in particular, to me, is off the charts. Because how do we? How did you not come to the conclusion uh, in June that there was going to be a, a plan in place, and maybe it would work, and maybe it, it wouldn't? But this is all the Big Ten presidents are meeting now, like they are meeting now as we speak to make panicked and, and rushed decisions. So I think we're going to get some folks saying. That's absolutely the right move. It's player safety. This is about the kids. This is the right thing. But I say peel back the layers of how you initially feel about this either way and look at how they got here today and look at how they're scurrying and look at the fact the SEC is like, we might invite Ohio State and Nebraska to join our conference for this year and understand how 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 little thought process and planning and productivity went into where we are today. So, am I surprised? Absolutely not. Should people be disappointed and mad? Absolutely. Boy, there's so much to unpack here. Um, is it the right call? I honestly don't know. I don't know because the NBA, the NHL, and the MLS, and the Women's Soccer League, and there's probably a, another league I'm forgetting. Well, I mean like WWE, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> UFC. Uh, those don't compare because you don't have roster sizes the size of these college football teams. But NBA, NHL, MLS have proven there is a way to do this. And Major League Baseball. They're actually doing it outside of a bubble. Except for the Cardinals. The Cardinals. Cardinals aren't doing it at all. A little blip there. Marlins, a little blip there. So some problems. But uh, And then the Indians pitcher, Plesak, who went out to a Chicago bar with some friends and then sent out an apology. <laughs> they had to send him home. They just had to send they him home. They gave him a rent-a-car and said, just, dude, just drive in front of the bus. I love this story. Stay away. I love this. I love that story. So you've got these leagues that are proving there is a way to play sports and not have COVID outbreaks. Baseball, sort of. They've had a couple COVID outbreaks, but they've gotten them sort of back under control, and now they have strengthened their rules and regulations, and you can't leave hotels. Um, And as Trevor Lawrence tweeted last night, a lot of these kids who would be in these structured football schedules that come from less-than-ideal home situations would be bounced back to those less-than-ideal situations or just left up to really do what they want to do as a 20-year-old, and that is not always the best thing Mm -hmm. for irresponsible young adults. And so if you've got leagues that are showing you can do this, if you have all the right safety measurements, and you've got prominent players within the sport saying, we want to do this with the proper – in fact, we not only want to do this, we think it's better if we do this for a lot of these kids that come through bad family situations. Right. So let's find a way – what irritates me is the the let's find a way part was handled in one of two ways, all right? It was either handled by not trying at all to find a way to do it by the Power Five conferences the last four months. Mm-hmm. They've, they've had months to try and pull together a plan, be it a bubble or some sort of Major League Baseball-like situation where you maybe you have stricter protocol than baseball did out of the gate. And it's so they either didn't try to do that or they did try to do that, and they decided, honestly, like logistically and financially, it's just going to be too much of a pain in the ass, and we're just not we're not prepared to put the money up for testing and for bubbles right. and for all of these things, knowing that we're not going to have fans in the stands at these football games. Right. So, which one is it? Did they did did well, the organizers not try, or did they determine? Uh, we don't really want to lose a billion dollars collectively across the five power conferences for testing and for all this other stuff. Right, and Screw if it. we get sued. And, and the thing to keep in, in mind here, too, where where college sports are up against it is this one, fall sports. 
Like if we were talking, I, I think in the perfect, in the perfect, perfect big business billion dollar world, okay, you would probably say no one's playing but football. And here's our plan. But you can't do that. You can't. There's too many problems. You you can't just you can't tell every other fall sport, hey, you're all canceled and we're playing football. You're gonna get sued. There's going to be pushback. So I think that's a, a problem. But what frustrates me, and yet I'm not surprised, is College sports at every turn to me has a lack of planning. And their only real plan at the start of every big year, and by that I mean football, basketball, is how can we rob the players as much as possible to put as much money in our own pockets as we can. And I think that when the administrators, the ADs, and presidents say, okay, now, now, and rightfully so, We've got players pushing back because the time right now is perfect to push back and say, we'd like to start a union. We want comprehensive testing. We basically want to be treated like what we are, which is pros. The least surprising response to me from the college people is we're bailing then for sure. This scares them. I mean, the, the subject of a union and treating these people as pros is a different topic that keeps people up at night because they've been pocketing that money for how long, right? So I'm not surprised by one thing that's transpiring, but it is too bad that when it comes to college sports, the adults in the room have never been adults. They're greedy. They love their cash, but they've never, they have never, and this is not a case again, this is not a case of looking out at what's best for players. This is them trying to deduct what's best for them. And what's best for them is how can we make as much as possible and make no mistake. This is going to hurt bad. This is going to hurt sports bad. And my guess is some uh, plenty of small sports throughout the landscape of college uh, of colleges are, are going to be gone because of this. But that being said, there is no plan here and there wasn't a plan. And how are we this far into a pandemic and you didn't at least have yeah. a presentable plan? Now, if you're wondering, so, you know, why wasn't there a plan? OK, either they just have terrible leadership across the, the power five conferences or just a lack of leadership structure and, and who should be carrying the torch forward with with stuff like this. Uh, or, or they determined financially it's not gonna it's not gonna work. Now I did look this up just out of curiosity because we know that Major League Baseball has a ten billion dollar chunk of pie that they divvy up, and then there's operating costs. It's not like it's straight ten billion dollar profit. So uh, I just want to squash that notion. Sure. Football had what fifteen billion dollar chunk of pie in football. NBA is like eight or nine billion. Well, college football. The top 15 programs alone in college football, according to Forbes magazine, brought in $1.5 billion in gross revenue last year. You start to then add in all the other, like the next 15, the next 15, the next 15, the Gophers bring in whatever it is, um, not $100 million like Ohio State does, but it's it's getting close to like an NBA-level chunk of pie in terms of the billions of dollars, and there's probably a figure out there. Someone's probably already done this math. So you can't tell me that you're not at least equipped financially to buy test kits and do all the things that some of these other entities have done. So let, so that's the first thing I would say. But if we're going to blame the reasons why college football and the Gophers, specifically here locally, are not going to play in 2020, yes, the NCAA's inability or unwillingness to finance a bubble and testing and all these things is definitely in the mix for things to blame. But really, the number one reason to blame is that we as a country have not done enough to slow the spread of COVID. We have not done enough to reward right. ourselves 
with all of the sports in the fall, period. There's a study that came out today from scientists, scientists, not Republicans, not Democrats, scientists that said if we were to all at this point, as as many people as have died and as much argument, uh, as much arguing as has taken place back and forth and politicizing, let's put all that aside for a second. Mm -hmm. If we all just went all in for six to eight weeks, this thing would be gone. Even still, even after it spread this much over four months. Now, imagine if we would have just done that back in June or something. We could play football. But, it would be great. Fans could be in the stands, perhaps. But what drives me, and here we are. But what drives me nuts is the academics who work at colleges who act like they are the smartest people, right? That we know we, I'm a president of a university, right? The fact that you didn't in March say, yeah, you know what, Bob? This country is screwed up. We need a plan right now. We need to start planning right now. And Bob would say, but for the fall, that's a long ways away, Joe. And Joe would say, no, Bob, this country's really goofed up. And therefore, we have to assume that they're not going to fix it. And so we at least need a comprehensive plan that can, on August, hold on a second here. What, what's the date today? It's the 10th today. Okay. On August 10th can put us in a position to make a decision that doesn't appear panicked. And they couldn't do that. Again, I will, Jim Harbaugh just put a statement out too. The the adults he wants to play. He wants to go. Of course he does. And I, look, I get that, but the adults in the room are not have have had no ability from day one. Not surprisingly, because it's college sports to handle this, and so somehow, somehow again, here we have another sport that's trying to instead of coming out with this was our plan is basically trying to make up the rules. And in this case, they are just saying abort mission because they never came up with any type of idea. I mean, and you've got you got five conferences, right? The old power five. Like if, if everybody else didn't play, Phil, and you had those five conferences and they had had a plan and they had been together and saying, this is what, this is what we want to do. Can we do it? And they had had these conversations in March, April, and May. At least now... There would be a comprehensive landing spot where everyone could come out and possibly say we can't play. Mm-hmm. But instead, today, this is embarrassing. We've got the Big Ten saying this. The SEC looks like it's going to say for a while, we're going to try and play, Billy Bob. Let's give this a shot, right? I mean, this is a complete cluster bleep. It's embarrassing. But, but here's, the, here's the beauty of all of this, all right? Here's the silver lining. Players have finally realized, especially the top players, the I'm Trevor Lawrence's, have realized, yes. all right, it's easier for us to band together now than it ever has been because of social media. We can communicate with each other. We don't have to get on, you know, 15 years ago, you get on a conference call or something. I mean, they got on a conference call with some of the top players from the Power Fives, but they can send out social media campaigns and they can organize much more quickly and much more efficiently than they would have in any other era. Yes. So what's happening is the players are looking to unionize, and now how do you... It's tough because if Trevor Lawrence is going to focus on going to the NFL in four yeah, months, he's, and he's the one that's leading all this. Yeah, like it's over. you need a you need someone who's not immediately jumping to the NFL to lead this. Ideally, but this would be the first step in a major evolution for college football. Mm-hmm. And and if you want to simplify it, because there's a lot of complications here, and there's a lot. But if you want to simplify it, the top eighteen to twenty two year old football players in the world are grouping together and saying, "We want to partner with an entity." That would compensate us. That would market us. Yeah, and so we want, we want our value is that we are the best eighteen to twenty two year old football players in the world, and we're looking to plug into infrastructure. Okay? Yes. Yeah. 
Now, that infrastructure, the obvious one is NCAA. Like, they've been plugged into the NCAA for 130 years, whenever college football started in the late 1800s, right? But couldn't that partner also be some other amalgamation of the NCAA or Absolutely. the Rock Dwayne Johnson's XFL? <laughs> so what you have is you've got the 18 to 22-year-old football players have collectively gone together and said, all right, these are the things that we want. I could see the Power Five conferences maybe even taking this into their own hands. Kevin Warren just became just came from the NFL. Just came from the NFL. The Vikings. commissioner of the Power the Five. Like, yeah. could, could the Power Five say, all right, listen, NCAA, you're holding all of us back. We, the Power Five brands, teams, colleges, yep. are going to secede from the NCAA, partner with the best 18 to 22-year-old football players in the world. Yep. Couldn't the XFL come in and say, all right, this is a cluster over here. You guys, they've been screwing you for years. We're not going to make you rich. We'll make some of you rich. But we want to use you, best 18 to 22-year-olds in the world. We want to use you as our player feeder system, and we will compensate you the money that you deserve. And you know what? You can even still take college classes if you want to. Yeah. You don't have to if you don't want to. Um, but what I, I am want, very curious to see how this plays out. What I want from this is I don't want – the the pandemic to be the the place where they take a stand and then that stand once the pandemic is gone is gone itself i want this to be the leaping off point now for we are look we are professional players they are they're professional athletes they make billions of dollars for their schools and conferences right um they they can certainly be sold as far as merchandising goes there is nothing that stops them now from saying the pandemic started this, but it doesn't stop once that's done. We want to find a way, and you, the colleges, need to find a way to compensate us properly. And there will quickly be the pushback. What about the other sports, Judd? For, for the most part, I don't care. Kids should be able to play all the sports the kids want, and I'm for it. But when we're talking about revenue producing, and I'm I'm not talking about a nice chunk of change. I'm talking about big paydays, right, Phil? We're talking football. We're talking basketball, probably. Here we're talking hockey, but not across the board by any means. Um, so don't give me this. But my kid runs track and field. You know what? Good for your kid. And I applaud that. And that kid should continue to run track and field forever if that's what that person wants. But when we're talking about football, we're talking about a separate animal that brings in huge, huge paydays. And I I hope that this is the start of college kids saying, bleep it. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's get what is ours. Yeah. So this will be, boy, this is all going to change by the time we record our show tomorrow, too. We might have official news on the Big Ten or official statements, at least. Again. Jim Jim Harbaugh sent out like a 500-word statement. I'm sure he was rocking some great pleated khakis while he was in some cleats. <laughs> probably he ro- this he was probably rocking something else, too, right now. And he basically said, I would like to address the rumors that are swirling today. I'm not advocating for football this fall because of my passion or our players' desire to play, but because of the facts accumulated over the last eight weeks since our players returned to campus on June 13th. And he goes through some of those facts. He said uh, the Michigan football program has had 11 positive tests out of almost 1,000 administered, including three upon initial return to campus. He goes through all the different, like, low percentage testing statistics. And then he essentially says, uh, in quoting President Theodore Roosevelt, we do this so that our place will not be among the cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. Hashtag we want to play. (laughs) Hashtag we want to coach. Yeah. So, but again, I am not anti college football this fall. If we, 
We are seeing other leagues do this the right way with no positive tests. It almost certainly has to be a bubble for college football. Right, but are they going to do that? Are they going to take that chance? Are are they going to have games? I I said this a couple months back, and it's my firm belief. The biggest fear of colleges is, is a lot of them aren't going back uh, to school, so kids are taking their uh, courses online. And my theory is this. If you then take college football players and play them in front of no fans, right, and you show those games on TV, they are so strengthened to say, we are professionals now. Like, you have to pay us. Mm-hmm. We, we are endangering ourselves to play a sport that we love for you, though, right? So I think this is all a financial play by people who are very, very afraid that their golden goose is about to be cooked. Um, yeah, I, this, is, this is going to be... But where was the plan, Phil? Like, where, how could there not be a... How, how could those five conferences not get together and have a plan? Well, like I said, off the top of the segment, they either did and decided it's too much money, and so therefore they don't want to lose that much money, or they were lazy for four months like baseball was, and here we are. And just cross their fingers. So, hey, real quick, before we get to random season recall, a quick shout-out to PodMN. It's a new app for local podcast discovery. You can find it in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. PodMN is your place to discover local podcasts and win rewards for listening to said Local podcasts. If you're a sports fan, there's all kinds of sports podcasts that you may not have even known about in the state of Minnesota here. Pod MN. You can follow Pod MN app on social media on all the platforms. All right. Declan Goff every single Monday brings a random Minnesota sports season to Judd Zolgad and myself and tries to stump us on various questions and facts. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think we've been doing pretty well throughout this. We've we've mostly nailed your first question almost every time, which I, is the record. God, but last week's wild one was amazing. I was very impressed. Spot on last week. <laughs> so was the I. hockey whisperer over That's here. Right. That's right. 26 the wild wins. We'll hey. get to the first overall pick. So what yeah. is this week's random season recall? We're going to football. We haven't done a football one in a while. So we're going to do the 1997 Minnesota Vikings, which is before the 98. I love one. this. This is great. This is, yeah, this hold, is the wait, last wait. season before Randy Moss. Wait, hold on. Hold on. Last blackout. Yeah. Colts game. Penultimate game. Okay. I'm okay, ready. You good? I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, my man. So the 1997 Vikings, what was their final record? Judd, I think it was nine and seven, and they went to the playoffs. Correct? They did. They actually because that's the team how that's, far down the rabbit hole you want to go. That's here. the team that went to the playoffs. They beat the Giants at the Meadowlands. They were down the miracle, by right? they were down yeah. by two scores. Had an, they they scored twice in like the last minute and a half. Yes, and kicked an onside kick to get the ball back. And Green's job was in Declan. Is the segment over? Yeah, nine and seven. <laughs> yeah. Don't bring that 97 Vikings garbage into our house. That's right. Danny Uh, Green's job in jeopardy. And if they had lost that game to the Giants, the word was he was gone. Because you know what? We were tired of playoff berths. We wanted more. Would he have gotten fired if they don't win that game? I think he does. And then if if he gets fired, do they not draft Randy Moss? Who's the coach? Who knows? Billick? Billick, maybe. You know, I don't know. Hmm. I I have no idea. Because they did win that game. Hmm. Interesting. All right. We'll have to a good start here, Phil. Through their first 10 weeks, though, what was the Vikings' record? So they finished 9-7. and seven. Through 10 weeks, what was the Vikings' record? Did they rally, or did they did that team Boy. rally late, or did they get off to um... um I feel like they started hot. That's very possible. Plus, yeah, it's probably true. You're probably right. They probably started hot, and then 
Let off the gas pedal at the back half of the schedule. So the first ten weeks, first ten weeks. So let's say they the were, Vikings were, they, they played, seven they and played three. ten games. The Vikings often start hot too. We we've seen that before. So eight, seven or eight wins maybe. So seven, yes. Yeah, so if they went seven and three, then they would have finished what two and two and four. Yeah. Or, yeah, and and then. So I'm just making this up, but if they started seven and three, yep. and they finished two and four and backed their way into the playoffs, then the narrative would have been, "Boy, Denny's in trouble. Denny's in trouble here, right?" So they're between, uh, d- 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 yeah, okay, all right, seven I'll and three, seven and three, eight and two. Oh, oh, right oh I said it! Oh, oh <laughs> my god! Two. Oh my god! I don't remember that that. That was an epic collapse then on the back two, end. Five game oh, losing streak. So Vikings. Oh my gosh. And then they won the last game of the season against the Indianapolis Colts to finish nine. Okay. And so seven. two and five okay. wow. in the last set. It's so Vikings. Amazing. Yeah. I can't believe I said eight and two. I didn't think that would be the case. All right. So you briefly mentioned this about the playoff game. So yes, they, they beat the Giants on wild card weekend and they overcame a big first half deficit. What was the deficit, do you remember, after the first half? Oh, I looked this up last year and doing research for something it was substantial 20 i'm trying to think of the final score i think the final score was like 23 i can give you the final score if you want yeah the final score was 23 to 22 the vikings won okay so they were down by were they down by 17 at the half bill i'm trying i'm trying to play this game backwards now so 23 22 they scored either nine or ten unanswered i can't remember i think it was 10 unanswered i think they were down 20 so they were down they were down 22 to 13 murray kicked a field goal right okay and then they got a touchdown. They got a late touchdown. I think it was, was it Cunningham by so then, then? Like Carter? 22 is such a weird score, too. 22. So were they down like 22 to 3? Did they shut the Giants out in the second half? Did they have a, um, okay. Or was it like 19 to nothing? I feel, I feel like the score had to be somewhat normal for Declan to ask this question, and the final score wasn't. Nineteen to nothing would be a little bit of an odd deficit. Seventeen nothing. Was there a safety? How do you get twenty two points? Such a weird. Yeah, just it a is weird. weird. I, I. It's it's kind of a shot in the say, dark here. Do you want to say seventeen or nineteen? I kind of want to say nineteen to nothing. All right, just nineteen. Yep, mm-hmm. let's do it. Oh. oh. 16 points. It was 19 to 3. I said that. No. I know. I said 8 and 2. You said 16 points. I said 19 to 3. We are, we are, on the, we are so on the edges of success oh, here. Man. We are dancing around the edges of random season recall success. It Gosh. was 19. Damn it. It was, it was a 16-point deficit. 19 to 3 was the score. And then, yeah, Giants, the Giants did get a field goal in the second half. But, yes, the Vikings went touchdown, field goal. Giants field goal. Jake Reed with a 30-yard bomb uh, That's what from, it was. from Cunningham. That's what I was thinking of. And then Eddie Murray hits a 24-yard field goal. Eddie Murray, who was like 1,000 years old then. They were rolling through old kickers, man. And then they went They went. Uh, Eddie Murray. Oh, they went everybody. Bo- both Anderson kickers. Yep. So yeah. good, good segue. The Vikings had two kickers that made seven field goals that season. Who were those two kickers? Well, clearly Murray was one of them. Right. Who was the other? Um, so someone got cut early or hurt. Hold on. So this is well, 19- it wasn't Gary Anderson, was it? I don't think so. I thought he came. You know, I don't know for sure here. Okay. So to be clear, when did Fuadrevez leave? Mid nineties. He was here for through 94, 95. I mean, it might have. Okay. Fuad makes Fuad makes more sense in my mind than Gary does. As Would they far have as cut the Fuadrevez in like week four? It's or very something? possible a guy like that struggled. I wouldn't dismiss that one. I wouldn't dismiss that one. So who who else came through here? 
Murray, um, da, 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 da. all the ones the I'm thinking Andersons of were after. later. Yeah, Rich Carlos was before I think. I don't know if I'm going to be a lot of help here because I don't remember. I feel like Fouad's a good like because he would have been there around that time. He very easily could have just gotten old and started to struggle. Okay, I feel like that's a good guess. All right, Fouad Revez. God dang it, Greg Davis. Oh. Greg you, Davis? What, what type of question is that? I, it's random season recall. There's two kickers. That's well, Greg random. Davis could be my next door neighbor now. Totally random. I don't know. I don't know any Greg Davises. You're just, you're just Do you have any election? You completely. Never, I, 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 he could have made this up. And I, I was 27 then, so I was probably his name was Phil Mackey. I was probably no drunk for a good part of that year. <laughs> so my excuse is uh, I was drunk when Greg Davis was kicking. How so many, is he. Uh, Apparently, Greg Davis might have been drunk when Greg Davis hell, was Seriously, who the hell is Greg? I, I, <laughs> I have no, no idea. That name does not even ring a bell. Yeah, both of them made at least seven kicks. And then, and then and Eddie uh, Murray. And yeah. then Eddie Murray, I think clearly Greg Davis must have gotten cut because uh-huh. Eddie Murray was the one who I'm going to look at Murray's stats. I'm not going to look at the 97 stats, but I just am curious how old he was by the time he got here because he was 100 years old. So how many, that was the year before Randy Moss. How many touchdowns did uh, Chris Carter haul in? In 1997, all in he did season. was catch touchdown passes. Yeah, I was going to say he before probably, Andy Moss got he there. probably hauled in a bunch of touchdown passes that season. So Chris Carter and Herman Moore kind of went back and forth with the record, with the record, the, the right around that time. Record. Right around that time. That's exactly right. It would have been uh, Chris Carter had 120 receptions in. He had like 122 receptions in 95 or 96. 97, he probably had over 100 receptions. Definitely had over 10 touchdown receptions. Um. It was probably like 12. Judd, it was, I don't know. It was probably 12. 11 or 12 I, yeah. I don't think it was like 15. I feel like if you're within a couple, that, that we should get the point. How about within one on either side? Okay. All so right. What's the guess? 13. Nailed it. 13 yeah! touchdowns. Yeah! That's right. Yeah, take that luck. The luck has turned. It's pivoted. 13 touchdowns. Eddie for Chris Murray in 19, keep shooting. in 1997 with the Vikings was 41. You guys, he actually went out with Washington in 2000 at the age of 44. Wow. He was kicking. That's the thing. If, I love kickers. Sometimes teams get They're so... They're like left-handed relief pitchers. And teams get so caught up in like, well, he can't make a 59-yarder. I don't care. Can he make a 40-yarder? Yeah, can he punch it through? <laughs> Good God. All yeah. right. All right, last one here. Uh, big year for John Randall that year. How many sacks did the uh, Hall of Famer Ooh. put down in 1997? Wait. So we're just talking here. Yep, you're talking. 15-something? Boy. I mean, the record is Strahan, 22 and a half, right? He never got close to that. And though. he wasn't, right, right. But that's my point. I think he peaked around 15 sacks. So it had to be around 15 been, sacks or so. Um, that sounds good to me. 15 and a half sacks. Yeah! 15 and a half sacks. I'll give you Take 15 that. and a half. Take that. Oh, you, uh, oh, you, do you have the pro football reference page open? Yes, I do. Can we just show off a little here? Yes, you can. So I think Randall Cunningham took over toward like in December of that season. Randall, uh, Brad Johnson was the starting quarterback up until like December. And then he either got hurt or something, and Cunningham came in and started two or three games at the end of the regular season, I want to say, and then started in the playoffs. Didn't he start? He started the Giants' playoff game, too, didn't he? Cunningham? I think so. Yeah, did. Okay. Oh, you're uh, just getting Brandon, random bells now. Brandon, uh, Brad Johnson broke his at a neck injury. I don't know if he broke his neck, but he did a neck injury. That's right. He got okay. sidelined. That's Cunningham right. stepped in. Yep. Okay. Uh, and then who did they play? Who they, they got smoked in their playoff game. I think it was San Francisco. I think they got beat by, or what, was it San Francisco or was it Dallas? They got beat by either After San Francisco or Dallas in that division round game remember. in 1997. 
But wasn't 97? No, 98 was the Terrell Owens crying catch. Yes. Yeah. So, and that was the division round against the Packers. So I think it was it was and, a San Francisco. <laughs> Niners. Yeah. 30, How bad was the score? 38 to 22. It was 21 7 at half. I mean, yeah. I mean, they, they got their ass. They got kicked. their ass kicked. Just like this last. Game. And in, in fact, that Colts game that they uh, completed the season against at the Metrodome will, I believe now, because the rules in the league have changed, will forever be the last blacked out home game for the Vikings. Wow. That game Randy was Moss not on put TV. Butts in seats for oh, twenty years. That crowd <laughs> years. and that crowd uh, by then was sort of the older Met Stadium crowd, way quieter. Like Moss changed the complete dynamic. Yeah, oh, that's insane. What, so what does happen if they lose to the Giants? Denny gets fired. I mean, you're right. They probably don't draft Moss. They probably don't. They probably do. Do they go with a defensive coach at that point in time? Because Green had been an offensive coach. When did uh, that's a gr- that's a fun path to go down? Off the top of my head, when did Dungy get hired by the Bucks? Was that before? Was that in 97, 96? It was, was ninety six, I believe. Okay. I so believe it was ninety six. So I think he was gone. Okay, but that's a really interesting question too. And he okay, so so let's play this out in full. They lose to the Giants. Green gets fired. They go with a defensive coach. They don't draft Moss. They don't get a new stadium built. Do they move? Because I've always contended the Moss thing was the momentum that became huge. Because they Boy. don't get those new fans. If, well, if if Moss doesn't get drafted, they probably move. Because they don't get the Moss fans. Yeah. I found an article from infoplease.com. Just out of curiosity, if, if Denny Green had been fired at the end of the 97 season, yeah. who were the coaches that, who were the new coaches in 1998? Only sure. four. Only four new coaches going into 1998. Okay. Buffalo had Marv Levy retire. And they hired Wade Phillips. I believe oh. that was Wade Phillips' first head coaching job. <laughs> he, he might have been a candidate here. Great coordinator, not a great head coach. Mm-hmm. Defensive guy, though, so. Indianapolis fired Lindy Infante and hired Jim Mora. Recycled at the time mm-hmm. from the Saints. Playoffs? Oakland. Actually, hold on a second. Um, yep. Yeah. Okay. Oakland fired Joe Bugle and promoted. Actually, not promoted. They hired him from the Eagles. John Gruden. Yep. Would John Gruden right. have been the Vikings? No, because he was like thirty-one or something ridiculous. It's a very Raiders thing to do, and they wouldn't have the the, the uh, conglomerate that owned the Vikings at, the, at that time would not have hired okay. Gruden. And then young. the only other one in the NFC, Barry Switzer resigned from his job in Dallas, and Dallas hired Chan Gailey to be their head coach, <laughs> another longtime coordinator. So those oh. would have been your four options. And this is all this also falls at, at the time where Green, I believe, had written uh, his book that threatened at the end of the book to essentially sue the conglomerate that owned the Vikings and take control. That's amazing. He did. He, he was just, he was just going to own the Vikings? In which he wrote about his plan to essentially sue the people that own the team and take control of the team. Wouldn't that be great? If that's and he how, still didn't get fired. If that's how it works. I disagree with how this thing's being run. I'm going to sue the entity and take ownership <laughs> Think about of doing it. that now. You'd be fired so fast your head would spin. <laughs> Mr. Hubbard, you've been served. That's right. I'm yeah, take Mackie. over the company. Phil Mackie, I'm going to run this thing. Uh, that's a wrap on Mackie and Judd and Random Season Recall for today. Good one, Dex. Tomorrow, we will recap the franchise-changing ping-pong ball for the Minnesota Wild when they land the number one overall pick. That's the hockey whisperer talking. Fiala? Coyle? Or the laughing year? Wow. Laughing year's goals! Good stuff. I'm going to pee quickly.
Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.